Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of 1874, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Dan Bardell, but neither myself or Greg Evans will be on today's podcast. Instead, we've got a special interview with Villa midfielder Connor Harrahan, taken from The Athletic's Football League podcast, Going Up, Going Down. Hosts Ali Maxwell and George Ellick sat down with our very own Ireland international to discuss his move to Villa Park and the ups and downs of his career at the club so far. How did the transfer sort of process happen? When were you aware of the interest and, and initially were you like bang up for it or did, did it take yeah. a bit of thinking? Yeah, it, it was tough, you know, it was a complex, it was a, it was a, it was a tough stage. Um, if I'm being honest with you, you know, I, uh, obviously the fondness of awards the club is, is there for everyone to be seen. Um, you know, I was, I was really close to Patrick Curry at the time, God rest him. You know, I had many conversations with him about things. There was a part of me who wanted to stay and see out my contract. I, I probably, if I'm being honest with you, there was probably never a stage where I was going to sign a new contract. But there was always a part of me wondering, should I just stay till the end of the season and go on a free in the summer? There were some other clubs who who said if they, if I saw my contract out, they'd, they'd want to sign me on a free in the summer. And this was way back in probably December time. It was, it was, it was Sheffield. Listen, I've no problem saying it. It was Sheffield Wednesday and, and Fulham all the way until probably coming up to Christmas time and I thought I can't go to Sheffield Wednesday no way you know I'd, I'd ruined the relationship I've got got with the club did I want to go down to London to Fulham I wasn't sure at the time and then around Christmas time Bruce and Villa came in and I thought oh, I don't think I can turn down Villa you know you never know what can happen if I stayed until the summer after with six months to go of my contract I could get injured I could lose form and Villa just felt like the right fit it wasn't too far away from Sheffield where I was quite settled and and and, and loved the city li- living there, um, and I just felt like the right right club again um, and to go to. Obviously, you're still there, and we've got plenty to to pick through in your your Aston Villa career so far. But to start with, I mean, they they signed a lot of players in that January. Uh, Scott Hogan giant joined mm-hmm. from Brentford, and I think your first game uh, was the day that he moved from Brentford to Villa, and yeah. Brentford played against Villa. George and yeah. I were actually there and it was a bizarre, right. it was a very strange sort of atmosphere in general with Hogan having yeah, yeah. swap clubs that day and Brentford basically blitzed Villa. I remember an early yeah. chance for, for Villa, but otherwise it was pretty one-sided and a, a 3-1 defeat. The first five games you played for Villa were, were all defeats. A, a mm-hmm. big change that January and the club still sort of adapting to life in the second tier, having been a Premier League club for so long. <clears throat> How tough was that the, the, the first month? It must have been fairly crazy. Yeah, yeah it was It was. Pretty crazy to be honest. I probably didn't realise at the time how big the football club was. Um, going from Barnsley to Villa, I knew Villa was a big club, but until I got here and played at Villa Park and played in front of the fans, it's it's a, it's such a big football club. It's it's huge. It wasn't easy the transition of players. You know, I was living in a hotel. I think with five or six other players. You know, and you don't really get that very often at clubs. You know, you might have one or two in the summertime that um you know you may be living within a hotel but there was about six at the time neil taylor was there sam johnson was there uh the icelandic bjarnison was there scott hogan was there i was there um so it was a strange time the results weren't great to add add to you know to add to it um and we were kind of mid-table trying to pick up a couple of results and we were probably building for the following season really which um you know, we'll probably get into in a little bit. But um, yeah, it wasn't easy to start my Villa career, that's for sure. What do you remember about your, your first full season uh, with Villa? Things settled a little bit after that first <clears throat> campaign back in the second tier for them. And it was a, yeah. a, a playoff campaign in the end, the first of two for you. Uh, under mm-hmm. Steve Bruce, 
beating Tony Pulis's Borough 1-0 across two legs. That, yeah, was, yeah. that was pretty cagey. <laughs> Exciting game, that one. <laughs> well, yeah, not particularly, was it? I think it was a header from a corner, wasn't it, in the first yeah, leg? Yeah, Millie scored a header in the first leg after about 15 minutes and um, we held on for, for a 1-0 win um, away to Middlesbrough, which was a great result. And then the game at Phillip Park, I, if I remember it rightly, it was, a, it was a rubbish game, if I'm being honest with you. Um, not much happened. I don't think Middlesbrough really made a fist of it and we were kind of settling for a a nil-nil to get us into the final. And um, luckily enough, we just got over the line, really. Interesting that you, you said earlier, Fulham, Sheffield Wednesday had been sort of courting you uh, in, yeah. at the end of your spell at Barnes. So you end up playing against this Fulham side under Jokanovic in the playoff final. Mm-hmm. And they'd been on just the most incredible run in the second half yeah, of the season. Yeah. Uh, what was that game like? What do you remember? Because, you know, it wasn't like they absolutely blitzed you by by any no. means, but never quite never quite hit top gear it felt on the day yeah yeah you're probably right yeah um, they probably had a second half of the seasons like like I had at Barnsley they everything just went from they went on a fantastic run and to be honest with you you know it was we were fearful of 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 Fulham going into the final probably too fearful if I'm being honest with you you know they had a, they had a very good footballing side and played really really good stuff and we always felt like it was going to be a tough day but like you said, we probably didn't hit top gear. We only probably kind of made a fist of it in the second half when they probably went down to 10 men with about 25 minutes to go and we kind of pushed on and, and tried to get an equaliser. But listen, they probably deserved to go up over the course of their second half of the season run. They were the better the team on the day as well. They, they had some very good players and, you know, like I said, played some very good stuff. So, nah, listen, they probably deserved to go up, really. Uh, in terms of your emotions on that day, we've discussed that ever since you arrived at Argyle, yeah. generally... Things had moved upwards. Yeah. The, the teams that you played for yeah, had, yeah. had improved. You yourself had improved with them and become key parts of teams and then moved up to League One, to the Championship, winning uh-huh. winning at Wembley twice with Barnsley. Uh, what did it feel like to to lose at Wembley? Yeah, it was the first kind of big game I'd lost in my career and it was really tough, really. I actually, um, I came off with 10 minutes to go. I, I'd done my medial ligament. A ball fell to me with about 10 minutes to go and in around the box and I, I tried to put my foot through it and Ollie Norwood would actually block tackle me. And I went off a couple of minutes later. So that was kind of more frustration with the final. We probably knew going into the final Aston Villa that it was a huge game for us financially. We probably needed to win. We were, we knew if we'd lost that, that the, the club were probably in a little bit of trouble. So that probably added to our pressure and added to our disappointment. We knew that people like, you know, JT would probably not sign again. Snoddy would go back to West Ham. Sam Johnson would move on. Graben would go, would leave. So we knew that it was going to be a tough rebuilding stage at that time. So there was loads of different kind of feelings which made it tougher to take losing that game. Yeah, thankfully the club was saved somewhat uh, off the yeah. field in the summer. So it, it wasn't as disastrous as it could have been. And now mm-hmm. we're on to, to the start of last season. Steve Bruce is in charge for the first part of the campaign. Uh, when he mm-hmm. leaves... Dean Smith comes in from Brentford. At that stage, you've probably played against a Dean Smith Walsall team. You've definitely played yeah. against a Dean Brentford Smith team. Brentford team. What do you remember about your feelings when Dean uh, was appointed? Yeah, delighted. Of course. Listen, uh, one of the one of the teams I hated playing against, and and still do now to this day. And Dean's not even there. I hate playing away to Brentford. <laughs> I, uh, for whatever reason, I get battered there every time. And for some reason, a lot of players say the same thing. Away to Brentford, you think, oh, no, not, not today. So it, he's, a, he's, a, he's a manager that I've always kind of admired the way he played. Knew he was a, a good football man. Like I said, style of play would probably, I knew it would suit me. Um, so I was really, really excited. And 
it was a great fit for Dean at the time, obviously being a Villa man. So it, I think it was a great appointment. Well, things definitely clicked. And in the second half of the season, absolutely flying up the table. Yeah. What does it feel like to play for a team that wins 10 league games in a row? Yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, it was something that I touched on earlier. earlier. It's probably Barnsley's second half of the season. And that kind of 10-game run... It's probably the only two times in my career where I thought we're not going to lose today, no chance. It was amazing to to win ten games in a row in in the championship in such a tough league. Um, is is a great achievement. Something that I'm I'm delighted to, that I was there to be a part of. And um, yeah, just going into every game, I just felt like we're not going to lose today. It, and it's a great feeling to have. As well as the the general theme of sort of progression from the minute that you uh, joined Plymouth. One of the other mm-hmm. themes of your career has been sort of adapting to play different midfield roles, you know, always playing yeah. as a nominally a central midfield player. But as we know, there's, yeah. there's plenty of different roles and responsibilities within that. Uh, at times with Villa, you were, had the responsibility of scoring goals. Uh, and yeah. then as things clicked, it, it kind of felt like uh, as things sort of shook out, your role was at, at the base of midfield. Was that, was that something new for you? Yeah, it probably was. It was a case of Jack and, and, and John and myself had a great relationship on and off the field. You know, Jack being the player he is, being such a good footballer, was always going to play in an advanced role. John McGinn, the same, probably wouldn't have been suited to a six with the kind of qualities that he has. So there became an opportunity for myself to play at the base. And there's not probably too many managers and kind of styles of play that will probably suit me playing in a, as a six because I'm not an original six. But Dean being a passing man and a, and a football man, it probably made it easier for me to slip into that role. Um, and with such quality around me, like Jack and John as well, um, it made it made it much easier for me to play that role. What's it like being teammate of someone like Jack Grealish with the quality that he has? Yeah, listen, where do I start with Jack? What a footballer. Um, quality, absolute, through the roof. Um, he's got this just God gift ability that not many players have. He's he's just so good on the football. It's so hard to get the ball off him in games. To have him on your side really is is a pleasure because some of the things he does is is amazing, you know. And um it's one of them players that I look back and, and say, listen, I was very fortunate to play with Jack because he's 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 just so so good and he'll go on to whatever he wants to do really you're obviously um a strong character and you found your role within this team but when you head into the playoffs there's a semi-final game against West Brom it's a it's a big game for a number of reasons Um, but you didn't start that game what was what was your mindset sitting on the bench to start that game yeah I was hugely disappointed obviously you know I felt like I had a big uh, I played a big part in getting the kind of the team to where they were um especially in the second half of the season I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. Listen, it was just a decision the gaffer went for at the time. Maybe you know West Brom were a good side and and they had some good attacking players and maybe he wanted it that bit more of a a kind of a sitter and natural sitter in in Glen at the time. And I had to suck it up really and get on with it. And lo and behold, I suppose <laughs> I'm teeing you up in the same way that your good friend and colleague Jack Grealish teed you up. Yeah. In, to score. Well, what my Aston Villa supporting mate uh, calls one of the most important goals in Villa's modern history and his favourite yeah. ever goal oh. at Villa Park. <laughs> I mean, what an incredible moment. Yeah, it was amazing. Right up there in, in, in the goals, I've enjoyed scoring most of my career, without a doubt. It, it was, it, do you know what? It was one of them where it, it looks 
like a terrific goal, but it was just pure frustration of not starting the game. I just wanted to absolutely volley it as hard as I could. And luckily enough for me, it went in the top corner. If it went in the second tier on the halt, then I wouldn't have cared. But luckily enough for me, it was just one of the moments that I look back on and I think, wow, what a goal. The, the roof just lifted the atmosphere after was was you know hairs in the back of the neck stuff it was it was amazing heading to the final against derby no such frustration like you had against fulham the year before what do you remember mm-hmm. about that game you're getting quite used to wembley at this stage yeah. and playoff football and this game as far as i remember it kind of ended up being a little bit more comfortable than you kind of expect championship playoff finals to be yeah i suppose um going in watching the semi-finals obviously we played before derby and leeds and eh, without saying without sounding too kind of you know disrespectful to derby but as soon as derby won that final we we were so we were chuffed we were delighted because leeds were a really good side they play with energy they play with intensity they pass the ball about really well they would have, you know, there was or a couple of months before that we had that kind of big scrap of a game where, you know, that big um, scenario happened where they let us score a goal. So there would have been a huge amount of, you know, media going into that game and people talking about, you know, the previous game and then the playoff final. So when Derby won that game, first and foremost, I was surprised because I didn't expect them to win it. But listen we fancied ourselves going into that game against Derby we never thought that we would lose and that's no disrespect to Derby I suppose when Derby won that semi-final we were quietly pleased really that day when promotion was confirmed when you were confirmed as being a a Premier League player I want to know at that time there's obviously incredible celebrations at Mm -hmm. do you spend any time reflecting on the journey on the last decade or so or are you just absolutely on one yeah, I was just on a mental one that day, if I'm being honest. I was just, I couldn't believe it. You know, like I said, the whole emotion of it, the whole journey to be able to call myself a Premier League footballer was something I've always dreamed of and worked so hard for. I shed a tear, if I'm being honest with you, quietly, um, away from everyone. Um, it was just so emotional. Um, the playoff final is such a, an amazing, tense game. I've experienced a couple of victories in them and I've experienced, obviously, a loss. And when you win one, there's no feeling like it. It's, it. I know people say it's the best way to go up. Feeling-wise, it is. But obviously, listen, if you can get in the top two earlier and have a month off extra, I wouldn't say no to that either. But it's it's an amazing game. It's it's a unique game in football. And when you come out the right side of it, it's, it's such an amazing feeling. A couple of years in League Two, a couple in League One, and a couple in the Championship. And now you're a Premier League player, as we talked to uh, Connor yeah. on this podcast. Um want to ask you about that that move up to the Premier League kind of similar vibe to how the whole podcast has been what have been the main things that you've noticed in terms of the football itself moving up from the champ to the Premier League probably just a a similar to every league I've probably bounced up from um, more quality and and better teams basically the quality in the Premier League is is so so high you know the best league in the world. You know it's been a, a roller coaster season again for myself and for the team. We're probably we're in a position where we don't want to be, but it, to be involved in the Premier League in a full campaign has been amazing. And um, I've tried to enjoy it as best as I can because listen, I've I've worked a lot uh, tirelessly and and over the years so hard to get there. But when you tr- when you get there, then you, all you want to do is is win every game, and it's an emotional roller coaster. But I've tried to enjoy it and take in as much as I can because. 
you know, who knows how long I'll be in the Premier League for or if I'll be back again if we get relegated or whatever, you know. We've heard all about the journey, Conan, and as mentioned at the top of the show, it's it's such a fascinating thing for us as fans and I dare say for a lot of players as well to yeah. hear uh, a footballing life like you've had and to, to hear some of the, the memories, the stories, and it'd be also great to get some reflections on the journey in general. I mean, you've done plenty of that throughout mm-hmm. the pod, um, but... I've got to bring up one thing. You've touched yeah. on it a few times that you are someone who, uh, as the kids might say, is, is fueled by haters. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not something that you, you you necessarily shrug off. You've got this sort of storage facility in your brain for, for people who maybe haven't necessarily. I know. I think uh, I might know what's coming. Haven't necessarily. <laughs> I think you probably do. Um, August the eleventh, twenty nineteen. Uh, Connor Harahan is a, a Premier League player confirmed played in a Premier League game the name Craig Taylor is is instantly in your mind this is bizarre- <laughs> good old buddy Craig <laughs> bizarrely <laughs> I still can't believe this I need to hear from you about this uh, to give the listeners some context Craig had tweeted Connor uh, in January 2014 so five and a half years previously and he basically Connor had said in an interview as a Plymouth player that his dream was to play in the Premier League. And Craig said, good article, mate. You're Argyle's best player, no danger. But the Premier League, there's ambitions and then there's reality. Now, in August... (laughs) Not a big big smile, but I think this is the biggest one of the day. (laughs) (laughs) I just love this because it's, I mean, it's... Uh, and I don't mean this in a in a rude way. It's just unbelievably petty, and I love this. You, you then you found the screenshot. I don't know how you found the screenshot, but you found the screenshot. You you tweeted saying, "Hi Craig, I remember this tweet from 2014. Uh, I remembered it to this day. Never tell anyone they can't achieve something." I mean, ha- had you lined that up? Did you have that saved? Like, do you have a reminder on um, your phone to remind you? Like, how does that happen? Do you know what? I, w- I was playing for Plymouth at the time, obviously, and I remember the interview and I, I just remember the tweet. And I always, for, for whatever reason, people might say it's crazy, it's weird, it's amazing, whatever you people might say about it. I just said, I'm going to tweet that guy when I when I play in the Premier League. Uh, and I've always stored it. It's just one of them things at that time, at that moment. And do you know what? It, you'll think I'm crazy, but you, as you might guess, I'm obsessed with football. <laughs> and in the summertime, when I was away with my missus on holidays, and I said to her, when I I wasn't with her back then, because it was probably five, six years before, I said, there's this guy who, who was tweeted me, and I'm going to tweet him as soon as I make my debut in the Premier League. And my missus went, my missus went, would you leave? Don't even start. I, I don't even want to hear the story, you know what I mean? Um, and I said, no, I'm telling you, I am. I'm going to do it. Um, and I made my debut first game of the, of the, of the season. And you know what? The night before the, my debut against Spurs, I thought to myself, I'm going to find this tweet. And I was in my hotel room. I was in my hotel room, no word of a lie. And I, I found it, I screenshotted it, and I had it ready. And whether we got beat 20-0 against Spurs or if we won 1-0, I was, I was tweeting it the next day. And I, I absolutely loved every second of it, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> 